Good morning again. I was thinking on the exit signs out there when you go, we could maybe put on the left turn, Applebee's, Bojangles, <laughs> Yen Ching, that way, right turn, Twisted Tomato, Five Guys, that kind of stuff that way. What do you think? That would uh, give people pointing directions. So uh, just some ideas uh, when the service ends. We know that uh, when service is over, a lot of people are hungry, went ahead there. So actually down the road, we, we do look forward to having the uh, exit signs. We still uh, have plans to build them. They will say, uh, when I got saved at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, the, when you were leaving the parking lot, it struck us uh, immediately. It said, you're now entering the mission field. And we do want to have that. Uh, so we are uh, planning eventually to have those signs built and they'll be posted. So when you drive in, they should say welcome on one side. When you drive out, you're now entering the mission field, and so we're looking forward to doing that. Hope you had a good week. Uh, you know, this is our second uh, service in the new building. A lot more sunshine this week than we had last week. We had a lot of rain. Uh, it's been nice to have sun again, hasn't it been? Uh, my yard is like walking on a sponge. I don't know about yours, but uh, it's just good to have some sunshine, and, and uh, we this week... Um, we just put out uh, a little playhouse and some other things in the playground for the kids, so hopefully they'll be able to get out and uh, enjoy the outdoors. One of the things that we're glad about with the new property is not only do the kids have more space in the rooms, uh, but uh, the teachers can take them out into the field and let them play, and, uh, and you parents will benefit when they've burned off some energy in the class, so we are thankful for that, and the weather's been great. Uh, got a chance to get with some of the other Calvary Chapel pastors from around the state of Virginia, as well as North Carolina this week, and uh, they're very excited about what God is doing here at Calvary Chapel of Richmond. We're excited about what God is doing at some of the other Calvaries around the state, D.C. Metro up in uh, Northern Virginia. Pastor Tony is still going to be coming. Uh, we didn't forget last Sunday, we originally were going to have kind of a little dedication service and cookout, and then we were going to have Adams Road. Uh, but because of the rain, uh, Pastor Tony, they had canceled all of their outdoor things down in Newport News. So he's actually going to be here with us uh, Sunday, November the 1st, and we will do uh, the cookout from 4.30 to 6.30, and then we'll have a short 40-minute dedication service in here at 6.30. And if you've never heard Pastor Tony Clark, uh, you'll be blessed. Uh, he will inspire. He will uh, encourage us. And, and really, what Newport News uh, has he seen over 19 years, what God has done there, uh, he has some really good lessons uh, to share with us, things that we need to be aware of as we grow uh, as a fellowship, as we grow in what the Lord has us doing here in Chesterfield County. So I'm looking forward to having Tony share here, and uh, he's excited about it. Uh, he loves this fellowship. So mark your calendars, November 1st. And we have no bon air that night, so that night, 4.30, cookout, throw the football, cornhole, that kind of stuff. You know, those things will be going on out there. Uh, and then Tony will share uh, briefly with a short service at 6.30, and then uh, you'll be able to head home around 7.15 next Sunday night. Uh, that is all I have just to catch you up on. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we are in the book of Luke on Sundays. Uh, this Wednesday, we'll get back into our Ezekiel study. Uh, how, many of you, how many of you, despite the depression you might get, how many of you watch the news and keep up with the news? Uh, good. Well, you have to kind of know what's going on out there. And uh, in the next few weeks, uh, we will 
enter into Ezekiel 37. It's on Wednesday nights I'm speaking of. Went into uh, Ezekiel 37, 38, uh, 39. Uh, when we started the Ezekiel study, uh, well, I have to go back and check my notes when we started, but I, I think it was early 2014, so well over maybe a year and 10 months or so, uh, we've been in the book of Ezekiel. It's a big book, uh, but you, if you recall that Wednesday night that we first opened, I said, you know, by the time we get to chapters 37, 38, 39, we may be seeing things taking place on the world stage that very well might coincide exactly with our study. Uh, and so I hope in the next few weeks you'll start to come on Wednesday night uh, because I don't know if you've been watching, uh, but Vladimir Putin and, and, and Russia have moved down into Syria in a significant way. Uh, the alliance with Iran has been well established years prior, but it actually is it's, it's, it's thicker and even more cohesive uh, now than ever. Uh, we see that the chess pieces that Ezekiel prophesied are coming to place in our very lifetime. We're seeing these things take place. And I think that uh, you'll be uh, encouraged of what the Lord is doing. So we'll be uh, jumping back into Ezekiel this Wednesday night, and we're back in Luke this morning after a few uh, Sundays of uh, topical as we moved from the old location to this building. So if your Bibles are open, uh, we'll be covering verses 11 through 19. So if you don't have a Bible, simply raise your hand. Uh, one of the ushers will be glad to put a Bible in your hand. And if you don't have a Bible, you're, you're welcome to keep that one as well. So starting with verse 11, Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 11 through 19. Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then he entered, as he, as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not found any who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for gathering us here this morning. We thank you for the bright sunshine outside, but we also thank you, Lord, for the light that shines from your word. You said, I am the light of the world. And Lord, we ask this morning that your light would shine upon our lives, uh, that you'd open our eyes to things that maybe we need to see this morning. Lord, that you would uh, comfort those that need comfort. Lord, you would give uh, peace and rest, but also, Lord, that you would uh, unsettle us if we're in a place that, uh, that we have just forgotten the great things you've already done for us. And Lord, we just ask that your spirit would move here this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I forgot one thing. We've got to pray for our nation revival. Can you just bow with me? You don't have to stand. I want to pray again. Uh, we, we do this every week. You know, a new building, you, you, you kind of get messed up sometimes. You know, you, routines get out of whack, which is not a bad thing, by the way. Getting out of routines is good, but uh, let, pray with me one more time. Lord, we also lift up our country before you. We know that we need revival. We know, Lord, that we need you to intervene uh, in our nation in a mighty way. We know, Lord, that we need an outpouring upon the body of Christ. 
Lord, that we need our church and churches awakened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that we need to become filled so we can be faithful witnesses in the dark days that are not only here, but Lord, those that would be coming. We know that your return is approaching. And Lord, we desire to see many saved. Family members we've been praying for for years. Lord, we pray that uh, you would open the eyes of our government leaders, our education leaders, entertainment leaders. Lord, we'd see revival at every level. Lord, we know that you are able, uh, and we, Father, know that uh, apart from you, we can do nothing. We ask that you'd fill us afresh and anew. And we also pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, that they too, Lord, would be set free. Uh, Lord, that you would intervene in a great and mighty way as only you can do. And we ask things, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, back to Luke, uh, Luke 17. In uh, Budapest, a man goes to a rabbi and he complains and he says this, he says, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answers, take your goat into the room. Yeah, he said goat. Take your goat into the room. The man is incredulous, but the rabbi insists, do as I say and come back in one week. A week later, the man comes back looking more distraught than before. And he said, we cannot stand it. He tells the rabbi, this goat is filthy. The rabbi tells him, go home and let the goat out and come back in one more week. Radiant, the man returns. The rabbi, a week later, is saying, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it. Now that the goat is gone, we love each other. We struggle to be truly thankful, don't we? We struggle to realize what God's already given us, and when we see it, we can pr- we, even when we see what God's done, we can quickly forget it, can't we? Even when we see what God's done for us, we can quickly forget, no matter how good he's been. Colossians chapter 3, verse 6 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Singing. It's kind of a perpetual, just kind of praise that comes from deep within us. Jesus came without question to save us from our sins. I think we all agree with that. We all understand that from Scripture. But he also came, not only to save us from our sins, among the many other things that he came to do, he came to replace the heart of self-centeredness in us, to replace that heart of self-pity, the bitterness to be replaced with gratitude. And not just a short spurt of gratitude. We've all had short spurts of gratitude. You ever been real thankful in the morning, but by the evening, not so thankful? A lot of times it's dependent on how the day went for us. This is a great day by 5 o'clock. This is a horrible day. But God wants Thanksgiving to permeate our entire life. We'll come back to the text and look at these 10 men. But let me ask you, do you think there are levels of thankfulness, levels of gratitude? Do you think there are levels of that? Evidence of deeper appreciation Deeper thanks, 
We've probably all received a thank you note at some point where someone says not just a simple thank you, although there's nothing wrong with just a simple thank you, right? But we've all probably received a note from somebody or a letter from somebody where it wasn't just a simple thank you, but they accentuate that gratitude with words like, we are so thankful, right? We are so thankful. We are in such gratitude. Typically, the bigger the blessing, the more unexpected the gift, the more unexpected the service that we've received, or some help, the bigger it is, the more we've received, the more unexpected it is, the more thankful or the more grateful we are, typically. Some people even say these words, we feel indebted to you, right? We feel indebted because of what you've done for us. It'd be different if somebody, you know, it's one thing if somebody say, you know, hey, I... I, I don't have the 25 cents to pay this. Someone gives you a quarter. That's totally different than somebody sacrificially paying your mortgage one month because you were in a tough bind, right? The big difference between, not that the one is, they're both to be thankful, but the, the level of gratitude can be a lot stronger with the level of the gift or the challenge that we have. I believe there are levels of gratitude. And Jesus actually taught this principle. If you go back in our study, Luke chapter 7, he says in Luke 7, 46, he said, you do not put oil on my head, but she has perfumed my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. In other words, Jesus said there is levels of gratitude. Uh, people that have fully embrace and understand the level of what God has done for them, actually have a greater level of gratitude. People that don't understand, it's going to be less. It's going to be a different level of gratitude. You know, those of you that have children, you might have, you might have done the same thing, but you might get a different level of gratitude depending on who and the day or whatever it may be. There are different levels. And Jesus is showing us that here in this text as well. To the extent that we recognize what God has done on our behalf, we'll be that much more grateful for His grace. To the extent that we recognize what He's done for us, we'll be that much more grateful. If you were able to come uh, this past Sunday night um, and you got to see Adam's Road, I hope, I know, looking around here, I know some of you were able to be here. Uh, if you saw Adam's Road, what did you think about Micah? I've met a lot of Christians in my life. Some are far more grateful for the grace they've received than others. There's the, if you're a Christian, you're saved, whether you're super grateful or not as much, you're still saved, but I'm telling you what, some Christians I've met, they drip with gratitude, and they can't hide it. Matter of fact, they're so thankful for salvation, it's contagious to other people. Leprosy is contagious, but gratitude is contagious. When you're around someone who's truly thankful, now I will, I will recognize that some people, if their heart's not right, they'll be bothered being around people that are really thankful. I personally, I'm not bothered being around thankful people. They actually cause me to remember to be thankful. When I'm around someone, I just having Micah here, and uh, matter of fact, the first time I watched the video, I just wanted to reach out to say, hey, can we bring you to Richmond? Because that kind of gratitude for salvation 
is a reminder to all of us. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our study this morning, Beyond Gratitude. Beyond Gratitude. We'll look at four things this morning from the text. The gap, the gift, the gladness, and the gratitude. Beyond Gratitude. The gap, the gift, the gladness, and the gratitude. This gap... What do I mean by that? Well, it says in verse 11, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Those are two regions there in Israel that kind of border each other. Galilee is in the far north. Uh, Samaria is just to the south of it, in between Judah or Judea, which would be in the southern part. Uh, and then it says, He entered a certain village, and there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. He's passing through this region. He comes through this village, and these ten men are afar off. There is a gap between these men and society. There's a gap between them. Because of their diseased and highly, uh, well, there's debate today about how contagious leprosy really is. It is past uh, leprosy as, as you contract it. It begins to eat away at the skin, and, and eventually even you can have you know, the fingers and toes and uh, start to wear away and just to the point where you uh, actually will see people with just little nubs. It is passed through human contact. It is passed through bodily fluids like sneezing and things like that. But uh, it's not as contagious as the ancient world thought. Uh, we've actually, in modern times, leprosy has been contained quite a bit. And there, uh, there are vaccinations for it. Uh, but it is contagious. But regardless, in ancient times, they thought it was highly contagious. The belief was that it was highly, highly contagious. And so they're kept a distant, a far distance from the community in leper colonies. They live in their own little isolated uh, community or colonies. They are literally, these men and any other lepers like them, they are literally and figuratively on the outside looking in. Literally and figuratively on the outside of society just looking in. And Luke writes, they stand afar off. They've been, by the law, by the Old Testament law, the lepers did have to stay a far distance from the rest of the community, not to infect anyone, not to sneeze on any, not, not to actually transfer the disease they have to someone else. And they could see, although they couldn't be part of life, they could watch others in the routine of life from a distance. They could see other people going to market. They could see other people holding hands with their kids. They could see a husband and wife that are still in love. They could see aspects of the community, but they themselves could only look at it from a distance. They could see the health of other people. Some of you in this room, they're in poorer health. You probably look longingly on people that are in better health. And they did too. They would relate. It was looking like in a distance... It's like a mirage. It looks like something that they could reach out and touch, but they couldn't. They couldn't get near it. They had to stay a far way off. And there's not just a gap between them and society. They also have a gap between them and their families and their loved ones. Many of them may perhaps used to be in marriages. They used to be part of society. They used to work side by side with people they see at a distance, can you imagine if you had a quote-unquote normal life and all of a sudden you were ostracized in a short period of time, pushed out of society, and you have to live 
until you die, just fade away in the distance. They also have the emotional pain and isolation of separation. Not just looking at other people, but just that uh, feeling of loneliness, being isolated, being pushed away. They have the severe physical limitations. As the body begins to break down, it can't do the things it once did. They have weakness. Uh, leprosy affects the nerves. They have nerve loss. They can't even feel pain after a while. Now, that seems kind of fun sometimes when you couldn't feel pain, right? But it's not when it actually you break legs and limbs and don't even know it because you have no, no feeling whatsoever. You're just seeing yourself slowly waste away, and you can imagine how that would weigh on the heart and mind as you just waste away with no hope. Life in the colony is hopeless. The company of those you're with, they have equal hopelessness, and no one there can encourage anyone because each of them are slowly dying and fading away. And this is the gap that they had with society. But there's also the potential of a gift. The potential. Ever, be it remote. It says, and as they were there, they lifted up their voices because they see that Jesus, he's entered this certain village. He's coming through their area. If you're taking notes under the gift, there's this man, Jesus, who's entering into their area. Entered into their region, entered into their village. They're standing afar off, but they cry out, Jesus, have mercy on us. This man that walks by, Jesus of Nazareth, we don't know how much they knew about him, but we know how much Jesus had been doing, and no doubt the word had gotten to them or they wouldn't be able to cry out his name. They're speaking directly to him. Perhaps they've heard of his power, that he's healed not just hundreds, thousands in Galilee and surrounding regions. If people have come from miles, what would be southern Lebanon, down from Syria, over from what would be modern-day Jordan, thousands have been healed. And maybe they're asking themselves, is it true? Is it true that this man can do for us what no doctor on earth could possibly do? Is it true that this man could do for us what no psychiatrist could ever do? Is it true that this man could do for us what none of the priests could ever do, none of the prophets could ever do? Is it true? Is it possible that what we've heard about him isn't just rumor that he would do it for us too? Is it true that this could be the physician mentioned in Jeremiah 8.22? We sometimes refer to as the great physician. Is it true that this, this could be the man? And he's walking past our desperate colony. So what do we got to lose? Right? What do we got to lose? Just cry out to him. We're, no, we're not going to be any worse off if he can't really help us. But we'll cry out anyway. Church, understand that in a larger sense... The whole world is a leper colony. The whole world is a leper colony. We're tethered by gravity. We're tethered by time. We're in 
slowly fading bodies. The older you are, the more you realize not only are they fading, but it's actually not so slowly after a while, is it? There's no hope for healing or a new life unless Jesus walks down through the very earth we live in. In a larger sense, we're in a worldwide leper colony. And to walk through the earth, well, Jesus did it, didn't he? He did come to where we're at. And as he comes near this colony of dying men, we actually see a micro view of his earthly ministry. As he comes near these men, we see a small micro view, a picture of his entire ministry coming to earth. He came to take us out of the colony of death and decay into eternal life, reunited. Remember, these guys were taken away from their families, but we, through salvation, can be reunited with the family of God. Even a family we never knew because of the distance of sin and all that took place all the way since the garden. We've been separated from the family of God, whether we knew it or not. But Jesus comes into the leper colony of earth, and he comes to hear us cry out his name, and he's the only hope. These men, they need a gift. They desperately need a gift. Lepers would need any kind of gift uh, to to sustain themselves. They'd have to take, you know, people would have to, from a distance, throw them coins, throw them food. They, They depended on gifts, but none of those gifts could actually give them what they're really desiring, and that's to have their life back their health back, their families back, maybe a little extension of life. They were used to getting gifts, but those gifts were never really solving the problem. You know, you talk about getting the root cause of something. You can, you know, you can put a Band-Aid on something, but that doesn't necessarily fix it on any kind of problem. And these men, they need a gift that only Jesus can give. And so do we, don't we? So do we. They need a remedy that only he can provide. And so do we. They need mercy. So do we. They need something supernatural. And so do we. They need a cure that's not just for their physical condition, but at the heart level. And so do we. Right? All these same things, they need, we need. But as so often the case in his time on earth, Jesus used the healing of disease and sickness, and he did the same thing with casting out demons, for example. He used these healings of sickness to display not only his compassion, but his desire to heal. And his desire to convey the greater spiritual need that everyone has and needs his touch of. So he uses these physical conditions to display the deeper spiritual need that only Jesus can touch. And so as he's walking by, these men, they cry out for mercy. And he gives them 
more than perhaps they were even asking for, because I don't even know if they knew what they were asking for. Some of them may have. Maybe all of them did. Maybe a couple of them did. They're crying out for mercy. They don't even know. It's not specified what they're asking for. They don't know what that mercy would be. Is it a partial healing? Is it a complete healing? An extension of life? A lifetime supply of food? But they need mercy. And then it says, as they cry out for mercy in verse 14, so when he saw them, in the eyes of Jesus, he sees everything, doesn't he? Actually, he saw them before they, they cried out to him, but he sees them. He already knew they were going to be, he already knew he was going to encounter them before he got there, and then he sees them. And in response to their question, he simply says this, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, those that are Jewish would know what this means because if you receive a divine healing from God, you had to go and show yourself to the priest according to the law. The priest would have to inspect. That's a fun thing about being a priest. You had to have a lot of faith, too. Remember, they thought it was highly contagious. Uh, I would be in the modern priesthood of pastoral role, right? So you would have to come in your highly contagious condition, and you'd have to, and I'd have to actually touch, and I have to believe you've been healed. That's what they were called to do. They were said, Jesus says, you go show yourself the priest. Now, for, for them to hear that is for them to think, does that mean he's just healed us? Does that mean he's just done even immeasurably more than we were even asking for? That he's actually healed us? Is this, is this a short-term thing? And it says, and so it was that as they went, so they obey his command, they begin to head towards the priesthood, and as they're walking, they're cleansed. Everything comes back. Fingers start to come back. Limbs come back. Cha just radical changes that would blow any of our minds to see. I've never seen things like this. Have you? But Jesus did these kind of things. He had the power of God resting upon him. He was equal to the Father. He is God. Taking notes. <clears throat> Look at the gladness here. The gladness. When we see, when things seem, when things seem most dark, most impossible, and God, God steps in to rescue us, the joy and gladness is truly unspeakable. How many remember when you first got saved? You could not believe that God had actually rescued you. I hope that was your response. I know it was for me. I really believe. Later, we, later we kind of forget. Yeah, I used to be not so good. You first got to say, I was wicked, right? Then you kind of realize that, man, God, God really did have compassion on me. He really did call me from the grave. All these pictures, Lazarus, these are all pictures of salvation. They really happen, but Jesus used, you talk about, uh, you know, in Sunday school you get flannel grass. Jesus does real illustrations that stand the test of all eternity. But when things are most dark and God steps in, there's a joy and a gladness that's truly hard to contain. I'll read you something out of um, Robert J. Morgan's On This Day in Christian History. It says, John Craig was born in Scotland in 1512. He studied at the University of St. Andrews and entered the ministry. 
While living on the continent, he found a copy of Calvin's Institutes and in reading them found himself becoming a Protestant. As a result, he was arrested by agents of the Inquisition, taken prisoner to Rome, and condemned to death at the stake. On the evening of August 9, 1559, while awaiting execution the next day, dramatic news arrived that Pope Paul IV had died. According to the custom, the prisons in Rome were thrown open. The prisoners were temporarily released. Craig took advantage of the opportunity, escaping to an inn on the city's outskirts. A band of soldiers tracked him down, but the ca- as the captains of the guard arrested him, the soldier paused, looking at him intently. Finally, he asked Craig if he remembered helping the wounded soldier some years before in Bologna. I'm the man you relieved, said the captain, and providence has now put it in my power to return the kindness you are set at liberty. The soldier gave Craig the money in his pockets and marked out an escape route for him. As he made his way through Italy, Craig avoided public roads taking the circuitous route uh, suggested by the captain and using the money for food. But at length, Craig's money was exhausted, and so were his spirits. He lay down in the woods and gloomily considered his plight. Suddenly, the sounds of steps were heard, and Craig tensed. It was a dog, and in its mouth, a purse. Craig waved the animal away, fearing it was a trick, but the dog persisted, fawned on him, and left the purse in his lap. Using the money from the purse, Craig uh, reached Austria, where Emperor Maximilian listened to his sermon and gave him safe conduct. He then returned to his native Scotland where he preached Christ and abated the Reformation until his death many years later at the age of 88. God, throughout history, really does step in to impossible situations, doesn't he? Can you imagine the Thanksgiving as he lives to be 88 years of age now? Certainly he was going to die at the stake. I don't know about you, but dying on fire at the stake is a frightening thing. The one night he thought for sure, I will die at the stake, I will be lit ablaze. And God says, no, I'm going to get you out of here, and you're going to be set free, and you're going to live for me the rest. You know what? That will actually inspire a gratitude that other people, remember I talked about levels of gratitude? When you've narrowly escaped burning at the stake, And then God says, but here's what I want from you. I want you to live for me the rest of your life. Seems pretty reasonable then, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem reasonable? And even more than reasonable, joyful. Gladness should come over us to say, wow, God, put the money pouch. He used a dog, a nice dog, a spirit-led dog, (laughs) right? God can do that, right? That doesn't mean we'll be blessing animals here like I have seen. Uh, I was in Western Virginia last year on the way to a pastor conference, and it was like dog blessing Sunday. I know that they have those, and I like dogs, but, uh, and God can use them, but we won't be uh, doing any kind of healing or blessing or anything else like that. We'll pray for your dog, but, uh, but God wants to remind us that when he does the impossible, it should, it should 
provoke a gladness and a response that's deep within a person to say, Lord, I can't believe what you've done on my behalf. These men, they had already received a death penalty by disease. Not death at the stake, but they had received a death penalty by disease. And, and we've met people. You know, we, we, this summer, this summer uh, we had to put uh, you know, our sister Paula before the Lord, and, and God called her home. And, and cancer is one of those diseases that claims my sister years ago died of cancer. Some of you have family members. You know, God uh, allows these things to happen. And yet, these men, uh, they're, not, they're not called home just yet. They haven't died yet, but they feel death on them. They feel that there's no escape. They feel that they will just waste away, and, and, and nobody will even be there to care. Nobody will be at their funeral. They cry out for mercy, and then they receive a gift that money could never buy. You realize that there's certain diseases, plenty of them, that doctors can't do anything. Doctors simply say, there's nothing we can do. Not that they don't want to help, not that they're not trying to help, but there's nothing they can do. But that's not Jesus, is it? Jesus never says, there's nothing I can do. Isn't that great? He never says, I wish I had an answer for this. I wish I knew what to do. I wish I had the power to help you. And he does. And they're healed. They're on their way to the priest, and they're completely healed. Can you imagine can you imagine the gladness of these guys? I don't know how long they've lived in leper colony. Some probably years, some perhaps months, but to whatever range, if I knew for certain that I was dying, the doctor said, look, you've only got this amount of time left. We can show you the, here's, here's the uh, pictures of the cells. Here's you. you know, not only that, you're highly contagious. You can't live near anybody. You need to be out there. And all of a sudden, Jesus heals. Can you imagine the gladness that you'd experience? I really believe all these men were full of gladness. Not just the one. We'll get to the one in just a minute. All of them. All ten of them. Remember, they would be so excited to go see their families again. And if you're married, your wife said, I'll never see you again. Two years later, three years later, five years later, you come home and say, I'm fully healed. Not only that, we can have more children. We can add to the family. There was an agrarian society where they had large families. Jesus healed. You know, the one that's been going from village, he actually healed us. All 10 of them, I believe they were ecstatic. I believe they were all just jumping up and down, wanting to invite family and say, hey, everyone come. We've been completely healed of leprosy. Some of them probably regained vision. Leprosy oftentimes causes people to go blind. Some of them probably regained their vision, reunited with families. They're no more being an outcast, but now having healthy, functioning bodies. And I believe whenever Jesus healed people, I believe their bodies were better than they were before. How about you? Doctors get us back to maybe some previous okay. Jesus, when he heals, it's a way better deal. No more poor reflections when they go down to get water and they look in the water and they see their face. Wasting away. Complete gladness. Complete joy. Other people would have been rejoicing with them. Everyone wants to throw a party. 
And that all makes sense. Let's look at this last point if you're taking notes, the gratitude. They're all probably thrilled. They're all probably happy. But verse 15 says, and one of them, one of them when he saw he was healed, they all saw they were healed, but one of them when he saw he was healed, he returned, what does it say? With a loud voice. People I meet that are the most thankful for their salvation worship a big deal. They, they don't care if their hand hits you worshiping. They're not trying to get in your space. They just, they love the Lord that much. They're not trying to make you feel weird. They just love the Lord. And I'm not, it, 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 people have different personalities, so people don't all worship the same. So I, this isn't meant to, you know, I'm a very introverted person. I, I get that there are different personality types too. <laughs> but there's also a joy that can't be hidden in the life of a believer that is so thankful for the, to the Lord. They all knew they were healed. Notice, remember, uh, if you look back uh, in verse 13, it says, and they, that's plural, lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They had all cried out, and they all called Jesus by name and said, Master. All of them had cried out, Master, not just the one. Those of us who have cried out for salvation, we've all looked to him as Savior and Master, not just this one. It all asked for the mercy. What are the chances that they were all thankful? I think to a certain extent they all were thankful. This may be a little different than you've thought. I think to a certain extent they were all thankful. You don't think they'd be thankful after all that? Yeah, I think they were thankful. You're going to believe what happened. I'm so thankful. They probably used the word thankful a lot of times to their wives, to their children, to their family. We're so thankful. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been really thankful for something and completely forgot to write a note to somebody? As far as they're concerned, they didn't know you were so thankful. Uh, I'm going to raise two hands on this one. We have all been thankful for things that we never told anybody thank you for. We are all guilty of that. And then later, we feel really bad, like, I was so thankful, and I never even told you. Now, we're fleshly enough to be bothered by it on either side, right? Jesus, by the way, is not bothered by these things. He's simply leading us to a new place in our maturity. Does that make sense? I mean, it, he is pointing to something, but the reality is you can be super thankful and never express it at least not to God. Because these guys may have gone home and expressed it to everybody but who? Jesus. We're so thankful. We're so thankful. We're so thankful. Did you tell him? Oh. Well, we're 100 miles away now, and I don't have any idea where he's at. I didn't know where to find him. He was just passing through villages. Because when God does things, we may be thankful for it, but have we gone back to him directly, him directly, this one goes back. It takes intentionality to live a thankful, grateful life before the Lord. True? 
It takes intentionality. I have to remind myself to be grateful. I have the Holy Spirit, and I have the Bible that help remind me to be thankful. But left to myself, I would forget, or I wouldn't approach God directly. I would thank sometimes myself. I'm glad I thought of that. When it's really the Lord. We also, our thankfulness can fade pretty quickly, can't it? Amazing. I've seen people, and I've talked to other pastors that have seen things over the years that, you know, people that God has rescued dramatically. And for like four months, they're thankful and praising the Lord. I can't believe it. And you would never know. You meet them five years later, they won't go to church. They won't worship. They won't open a Bible. How can you be so thankful, but it all fades so quickly? You've forgotten the source, haven't we? We've forgotten the source. Jesus is the giver of life. Out in our uh, fellowship area, we have right there on the chalk, behold, I make all things new. He's the giver of life. It can fade. It takes intentionality. Robert Louis Stevenson said, the person who has stopped being thankful has fallen asleep in life. Fallen asleep in life. No longer thankful. This is particularly true of a believer. If we're not thankful, who in the world will be? If the body of Christ isn't thankful, who will be thankful? Because we are the only ones that have truly eternal life given. And if that's not something to be thankful for, then nothing is. But of course it is. We've been saved from something greater than leprosy, and it's called hell. Leprosy, dying young is not the worst thing that can happen on earth. Dying without Christ is the worst thing that can happen on earth. Amen? I don't like going to any funerals. But when I know the person is with Jesus, I has a, has a comfort level that I'll never get when I have no idea where their, where their eternity stood. And even though I would pray that God met someone at the last hours in their dream world or in their, you know, where only God could meet a person, I can pray that, that I wouldn't know. But when I know a believer that, man, I knew they knew the Lord, they expressed that is a comfort that you can't get any other way. And so leprosy as a death sentence, dying at, burning at the stake, all of those things are tragic, but they're not as tragic as someone who's never been healed by the Savior passing by the colony leper of this world, the leper colony of this world. The world is watching us, church. The world is watching, are you really grateful? This man, what does he do? He goes back with a loud voice, glorifies God. God loves when we praise him. Even when we don't understand what it all means, just praise him anyway. You know, they all tr- praise him when you're up, praise him when you're down, praise him all the time because he loves to inhabit the praises of his people. And he falls down on his face. Remember, I mentioned recently, John chapter 4, the Father is looking for true worshipers. What's a true worshiper? Someone that believes God's worth is far greater than theirs. And he falls on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. I believe he was already thankful, but he wanted Jesus to know he was thankful. Do you and I want Jesus to know we're thankful? And I've got to tell you, falling on my face, telling Jesus uh, uh, thanks doesn't even seem like enough. 
This is why some people won't even accept being born again because they think they got to work their way to heaven. That was, the, that was the whole context, if you were here Sunday night with uh, Adam's Road. Is they, they thought, there's something I have to do for God. Now, notice that the praise came after the healing, right? The healing had already taken place. These men could not heal themselves. They could only say, thank you for it. This is the same as salvation. We don't do great works to get saved. We do works because we are saved. That makes sense? We're not expressing our life for God so God lets us into heaven. We're expressing our life because God has let us into heaven. And that's what a joyful, thankful response looks like. It says, Lord, go back to John Craig. Lord, you delivered me from so great a trial and tribulation, certain death. I can do nothing but serve you for the rest of my life. Not to bring anything to the table. God doesn't need us to accomplish anything. But he looks at this man, and he's falling at his feet, and he says, where are the other ten? I mean, where, where, uh, he says, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Where are they? Did they not recognize that I healed them to become followers of me, to become devoted disciples of me, I healed them that they would be able to express to people what great things the Lord has done. And this man, he's the Samaritan. Jesus refers to him as a foreigner because the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. They were considered half-breeds to the Jewish population. The Jewish population couldn't stand the Samaritans. And frankly, the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish population either, even though they both had Jewish blood running through them. Half-brother versus full brother or sister. So they were considered foreigners. He was a double outcast. He was Samaritan and he was a leper. Double outcast. But again, Jesus, to the extent he who is forgiven much, loves much. This man realizes that Jesus accepted him, not just as his leprosy, but also you knew I was a Samaritan, and you treated me with the same love. And by the way, God shows no preference. He loves the whole world the same. It's not that he looks and says, well, these people here, they are the worst. They're all the same. Remember, Jonah struggled with this, that God would love the people of Nineveh as much as he would love the children of Israel, and he did. He loved them both the same. This man has a great sense of gratitude that he wants to express. And I think the Lord is reminding us, I don't know that the other nine, I mean, so you'll hear some people, uh, there's a lot of ways you can teach this text, and I've heard many messages on it, perhaps you have too. But we don't know enough about these other nine. I hope all nine of them are in heaven too. And they learn the lesson that God wants them to express the gratitude. But some of us here, it's time to go back and get at the feet of Jesus and say thank you once again. Amen? This is why we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of what? What does he say? He says in remembrance. Why would he say remembrance? Because we forget quick. We used to be, gra- gra- we used to be thankful. We used to be full of gratitude. But now, eh, it's a big deal. I'm born again. It is a big deal. John Newton, you guys know who he is, right? Okay, you don't. Some of you do. Some, he, wrote, he wrote Amazing Grace, former slave trader. 
he realized what a wretch that he was. Couldn't believe that God had saved him. Pulled him out of that life. But he said, when everything we receive from him is received and prized as fruit and pledge of his covenant love, then his bounties, instead of being set up as rivals and idols to draw our hearts from him, awaken us to fresh exercise of gratitude and furnish us with fresh motives of cheerful obedience every hour. Now, they wrote a little different in Old English style. I get that. But if you follow everything he said, he said we received the love covenant, a pledge from Jesus Christ himself. He said instead of receiving the bounties that he then gives us and setting them up as idols, isn't it interesting that people get saved, all of us, this happens all of us, we get saved, and the very things God blesses with us take God's place. And Jesus is pointing out in this man's life, he said, you are not allowing the healing to take the place of being a follower and a true worshiper of me. You're coming back, and you're realizing that your health was given to you to be a sacrifice to me, not that your health was given to you to say, now I finally get to live the way everyone else gets to live. Because the very things God can give us can become idolatry in our life. And the only way around it is to keep bowing down. Amen? To keep remembering. That's why we'll take the Lord's Supper. To keep remembering the goodness of God and being thankful and having gratitude. This gratitude is so deep in its result that it brings about humility, worship, and surrender. Jesus says, arise. See, once we actually, once we actually bow before the Lord, he's not going to keep us in a useless state, not that worshiping him will do for all eternity, but until he returns, he has things for us to do. So the man has the right disposition. Jesus says, arise. Your faith has made you well. Now go. Take this same joy. Take this same gratitude anywhere you go. Go your way. Go influence the world. Go be a light. Go be salt. Remind others what Jesus has done for us. Amen? See, gratitude, we can all have spurts of it, but God wants us to take us way beyond spurts of gratitude, a life of perpetual gratitude. We're going to mess up. This week, somewhere this week, we will all in this room not be thankful. But I hope you'll remember this message. I hope you remember Luke 17 to say, hold, hold on a second. I know how to fix this. Walk over to the Lord, bow my face, and start giving glory to God. That's how you fix it. And say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for salvation, and just return to the simple elements of the very thing you felt when you first came to Christ, and God will start doing a work. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for so great a salvation. Thank you for coming into the leper colony of this world and speaking to each of us. Lord, in the many ways you reached us, reached out to us, from different walks of life, different states we came to know you. Lord, if we've forgotten the gratitude you implanted in us at that time, Lord, I pray that even as we partake this morning of the Lord's Supper, we will once again bow at your feet, glorify you, and thank you with sincerity of heart. Lord, we don't do these things to earn your favor. We do them in response to your favor. We're so grateful, Lord.
And we want to be even more grateful than we are. We want to grow in gratitude. We want to grow in thanksgiving. Lord, that's our desire. Forgive us, Lord, if we've been unthankful. If, Lord, we've not been intentional in coming back and saying, thank you, Jesus. May we return to the foot of the cross even this morning. We know you desire, Lord, to raise us up, to fill us with the faith that you planted in the first place, and strengthen it to serve you all of our days. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.